right, praise the Lord, I'm back. Uh, man, I really enjoyed worship today. Um, such an awesome reminder that God is never far away from us, is he? He comes in close. He draws us in close. He wants to be intimately involved in our lives if we'll let him. And uh, I just pray that we will let uh, the Lord into the hard places in our hearts, um, the hard places in our lives. That he might set us free. Amen. Matthew chapter 21. We're going to start in verse 33 today. I'm going to wait to share the title. But I'll read starting in the 33rd verse of Matthew chapter 21. It says, Hear another parable. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and leased it to tenants. And he went into another country. When the season for fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. And the tenants took his servants, beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Again, he sent other servants, more than the first, and they did the same to them. Well, these are not the ideal tenants. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, they will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. When, therefore, the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? They said to him, he will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the fruits in their seasons. Jesus, I'm going to read on to 43. Jesus said to them, have you never read in the scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. And so this is the parable known as the parable of the tenants. Um, but as a subtitle, I got here, kingdom people produce kingdom fruit. And let's remember the context of this parable, which is a verbal exchange between Jesus and the chief priests and elders of the people. They asked Jesus, by what authority did he do the things that he did? And Jesus responded by saying, tell me if John's baptism was from God or man, and then I'll answer your question. Remember that? And the Bible says they deliberated among themselves. It's my emphasis, the word deliberated is not in there, but it says they deliberated among themselves and determined that if they said John's baptism was from God, Jesus would then ask why they didn't believe him. Why didn't they believe what John said about Jesus? On the other hand, they also felt they could not say John's baptism was from man because the people considered John a prophet and they feared how the people would react to that. So what did they respond? You remember? He said, I don't know. We don't know. 
Instead of bearing fruit for God in that moment, the chief priests and elders chose to serve their own interests. In my words, uh, there's probably better ones, but that's the draw away I got from it. They chose to serve their own interests. You see, they confronted Jesus as representatives of God, giving the impression that they were there to defend God's honor and protect the faith. However, Jesus' question revealed the thoughts and intent of their hearts. They were there for their own purposes. When they deliberated among themselves, they did not even mention God's word. They didn't consider the scriptures. Nor did they seek God's will and direction through prayer. Their primary consideration during those deliberations were their own self-interest. Think about it. What they say, okay, guys, let's talk about this before we answer. All right? He gave us two options. It's either from God or man. Now, let's consider the consequences. We want to avoid admitting what we don't want to admit and facing the consequences of what we probably really want to say. Right? And so they're caught in a rock in a hard place. Jesus is hard, boy. But the word of God is quick and powerful. It divides between soul and spirit, doesn't it? It gets down to the matter of it. And so here we have Jesus. He says, I will answer your question if you answer this one. John's baptism. Is it from God or man? And they're sitting here. Okay. Uh, if we say God, then we have to acknowledge what John said about Jesus when he says, behold, here's the son of God who come to take away the sins of the world. We have to acknowledge by extension that this guy is also from God. We don't want to do that. But we can't say John's baptism is from man because the people know better. And we might face some blowback. So here we are the chief priests and elders of the people. We are the leaders of the religious community in this society. And so what we're going to do is we're going to cop out and say, I don't know. And Jesus said, okay, you don't answer my question. I won't answer yours. But he shares a couple of parables. We went through the last parable last week. And he goes on and challenges them with this week's parable. So here they are, given the impression that they're coming as representatives of God, but their choice to cop out chooses, I mean, uh, shows that they weren't there as representatives of God. Because if you're there for God, who cares how the people are going to respond? What's right is right. If this guy is a heretic, if what he is claiming himself to be is not of God, then I should stand as a representative of God and speak the truth. Well, why am I deliberating the consequences to myself when what really matters is what will honor God? So, when they deliberated amongst themselves, I said they didn't mention God's word or consider seeking his will and direction through prayer. Their primary consideration during those deliberations was their own self-interest. You know what? Prioritizing their self-interest dulled their hearts to the things of God. They, of all people, should have known who Jesus was, why he was there, and they should have been, they should have been sounding the trumpet. In telling the people this is the fulfillment of the pro prophetic words concerning the Messiah. But they were characterized by their own self-interest. And in so doing, they were dulled in their hearts of the things of God. Which is why, despite their knowledge of scripture and their stature in the religious community, they were ignorant of the fact that the promised Messiah had arrived as had been prophesied in the Holy Scripture. 
If our own self-interest become more important to us than pleasing God, let this be a lesson to us. That will influence us to lean on our own understanding of things rather than doing what we're supposed to do, which is acknowledge God in all our ways. God's word promises that when we acknowledge him in all our ways, he will direct our paths. He'll make our paths straight. But in order to do that, our self-interest must be yielded to him and his will. Are you hearing me? Otherwise, we risk being blind to what God is doing, just like the priest, chief priests and, and elders were in this story, right? And how can we bear kingdom fruit if we're preoccupied with our own self-interest? What do you, let's consider the parable for a moment here. I'm going to go back to it. So the master of the house, he planted a vineyard, right? Now, he is, has every intention of bringing tenants in that's going to tend this vineyard. And his, and his uh, objective is to have them produce fruit to him. Now, this has got to be a pretty easy gig because the owner of the master of the house, the owner of the vineyard, pretty much does everything before he let it out to tenants. It's a pretty cushy gig. What does he do here? He plants the vineyard, so it's already planted. He put a fence around it to secure it. He dug a wine press in it. And then he built a tower for the tenants to stay in and leased it to and let it out to them. All they've got to do, the stuff they got to do is the easy stuff. He's done everything. He's provided them everything they need in order for them to be able to bear much fruit and to produce it and yield it to him. He's basically giving it to him. And all he wants is the fruit in its season. And yet, look at the tenant's response. All right? He did what you would expect. They acted like they owned it. He sent his servants, killed one, beat one, stoned another. He sent a bigger group. They did the same to them. And even when they sent when he sent his son, what'd they do? Oh, he's the heir. Let's kill him, take his inheritance. But he provided everything. He made the job easy. They couldn't have had a better situation than what they had. And Jesus concludes this parable By saying the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a people producing its fruits. Let's be real about this. Those who came to confront Jesus, the chief priests and elders, were not producing kingdom fruit. Their lofty position suggested that they should have been, but they weren't. Because somewhere along the way, they're still under the old covenant, right? Somewhere along the way, glorifying God got lost in the sauce. It, it kind of got lost as man began to change the law to suit man's own self-interest. And it wasn't about glorifying God. It was about pushing forward man's own agendas. Right? And so... As a result, that, that's why they were blind to the unfolding of prof, prophetic, uh, uh, the unfolding of the prophecy of the Messiah. It's happening right before them, and they're not able to see it. And you know, we can be 
guilty of the same thing that the that 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 the work of God, the plan of God is unfolding right before us. And if our own self-interest we're preoccupied with that, we can miss the work of God and how God is moving. Because we're preoccupied with our own self-interest. And like the like the um the master did for the tenants, this first group of tenants, he laid, God has laid everything out for us. Everything we need in order to bear fruit for God, he has graciously gifted it to us. He has provided for us all that we need to be able to tend his vineyard and bear, not just bear fruit, but bear much fruit. We have a pretty cushy gig with God, right? I mean, think of the exchange. He became sin for us, Jesus did. That we might become the righteousness of God in him. You know what? We made out all right in that deal. Right? And, 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 and what, what, what does scripture say? It says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Are you hearing me? We didn't earn this thing that we have. It's been given to us, right? And so, and, and so, and somewhere along the way, these guys began to adopt an attitude almost as if they, they earned this thing. It, it, it affected their ability to have humility, to walk humbly with God. It affected their ability to have compassion and love toward those who needed the Lord. And it affected their ability to actually see God at work and recognize it as the work of God. So let that be a cautionary, let that be cautionary to us because the same can happen to us if we don't learn from the lessons of Scripture. I said the same can happen to us if we don't learn the lessons of Scripture. Now, in the coming weeks, we're going to be talking about what that means, what that looks like as far as the fruit and the bearing of fruit. You know, we're going to get into that a little, a little deeper. Today is more or less laying the groundwork for that. Are you hearing me? Just to share what some scriptures say about this. Uh, I tell you what, I want to reemphasize, we didn't earn the position of sons and daughters that we have. We didn't earn this relationship with God. We couldn't. All of our deeds are as dirty rags, right? All of our righteous deeds, the best, the best actions, our best intentions are as filthy rags when it comes to being able to earn righteousness. We could not do it. So we couldn't earn that position. It was given to us as a gift. And as I said just a few minutes ago, it was given to us as a gift when we didn't even deserve it we were enemies of God but Romans 7 says this Romans 7 verses 4 through 6 we were enemies of God but Paul tells us this likewise my brothers you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another to him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear what? Fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. So we bore a different kind of fruit before we came to Christ. And we are expected to bear good fruit or kingdom fruit now that we have come to him. Now, we couldn't earn righteousness by bearing fruit, but having been given righteousness by grace through faith in Jesus Christ we are expected to produce kingdom fruit 
So don't be mistaken. The kingdom of God is given. Salvation of God is given to us, not earned. But as kingdom people, we are expected to produce kingdom what? Fruit. Matthew 3.8 says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Repentance, there is a fruit that should be borne out with genuine repentance, right? I'll say it right, right, Pastor Kent, right, 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 self. Bear fruit. You know, uh, if someone is apologizing to you, how many of you have ever got the apology, someone says something offensive to you, and they say, well, you know, I'm sorry you felt that way. Does that feel like an apology? Is that an apology? I forget what it feels like. <laughs> is that an apology? What, what are they really apologizing for? Are they apologizing for their actions? Or are they apologizing that you are just, I guess you're just a sensitive, I'm sorry you're a sensitive individual. That wouldn't have bothered me, but I'm sorry you're offended by it. No, we, we have to be careful and consider, you know, our words. And because and, what's in the heart is going to come out. If we are truly repentant, then we need to name what we have done and we need to confess it and, and we need to apologize for what we have done and the effect thereof and ask for forgiveness. You know, if we are repentant, there's going to be fruit associated with that. There's a contrition there, all right? There, there, there is a caring demonstrated that shows I care about what I did or said and how that impacted you. And our relationship means enough to me that I'm willing to humble myself before you and not just say I'm sorry, but ask your forgiveness. I'm going to put myself at your mercy and ask forgiveness. And so we ought to have bear fruit in keeping with. Repentance, and I'll, I'll get into that in, in, in later weeks. But, but, um, and and, for, and and I want to remind you what I said earlier that we're not left to our own devices. We we don't have to white knuckle this thing and just and just grin and bear it and try to work ourselves into doing the righteous deeds of God. He's given us everything that we need. We have the grace of God. All right, that enables us. The Holy Spirit of God is at work in us, okay? Through God's word and the Holy Spirit, there is a sanctifying work in us that is work doing a, performing a good work in us of the Lord. So he's conforming us into the image of Christ. And so we're going to be challenged in areas that force us to make a decision either for sin or for righteousness. I've used this analogy or, or, or this example many times, but for, for example, you know, uh, talking about uh, patience. Do we want it or don't we? God wants us to have patience. Well, guess how we get it? By getting it tested, right? And so we can fight against it and we can, you know, I grew up, as I was growing up, I was, I was, I was always so, oh boy, don't, pay for, don't pray for patience, whatever you do. Don't pray for patience, because if you do, oh boy. You know, and as younger parents, we would, you know, we, we adopted that. Christy and I, we would say that stuff to it to ourselves. Mm -mm, not praying for patience. I pray for peace. <laughs> Joy, you know. <laughs> those are the those are the tasty fruits. I'll eat those all day. You know. <laughs> Patience is not, uh, you know, that may as well be an eggplant or something. I don't really want that thing. But, but all of that is part of the fruit that God, the fruit of repentance, the, the fruit of righteousness that God wants us to bear out in our lives. And as kingdom people, we should be bearing that kingdom fruit. And so, um, 
And, he, and God has provided everything for us, his tenants, <laughs> that we would need to bear fruit in his vineyard. Um, Jesus is our line, is our lifeline for bearing fruit. Uh, I'm not really going to get deep into it, but John 15, starting at the first verse, says, Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it might what? Bear more fruit. And so we have the, we have the vine dresser. God wants us to keep producing and bearing more fruit for the kingdom. He wants to see uh, the, uh, the kingdom fruit born out in our lives. And you might not be bearing much fruit early on, but that's what the growth process is for. God has a process where he's conforming you into the image of his son. He's changing your character. He's, he's changing your name, as it were. Remember where he changed Jacob's name to Israel? You're not a trickster anymore. That's not your character anymore. All right, you have a new name which identifies your new identity, your new purpose in the Lord. You you are a transformed individual. And how many of you know we are transformed individuals in Christ? We are not what we used to be. We may do some of the same things that we did before we're saved, but we are not the same thing. We are a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Right? And so we are no longer bondage to sin. We're no longer bondage to the law of sin and death. But, but, but we have been freed from that. We've died to sin in Christ Jesus. And we have come up in newness of life with Christ Jesus. I mean, that's good news. Right? And so if we had to perform to earn that, we could never do it. But Jesus did it for us. All right, and, and his sacrifice has, has gifted to us the gift of eternal life, right? New life. We've been transformed in Christ, okay? You may not be where you want to be. Like I grew up hearing that all the time. I'm not where I want to be, but praise God, I'm not where I used to be, <laughs> right? I'm on a journey. And there's a finish line, and I'm going to keep pressing towards it. And I'm going to trust that God's going to be faithful to continue to do his work in me. My job is to humble myself before him and cooperate with the work of God. Because we need to be bearing fruit, kingdom fruit for him. Uh, Colossians 1, verses 9 and 10 really 10, but I'm going to read both verses 9 and 10. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, I mean, this is, you want to know what the heart of God is? I, I, I can't tell you what God's will is for you as far as if you're going to be on some mission field in Timbuktu or something or, 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 what, or, or what your mission field is, whether it's here or abroad. That's something that God's going to have to reveal to you. He's going to speak that to you. And, and it's not that God can't give a word to me or someone else to really speak a confirming word as to what God's putting on his heart, on your heart. But you should have, make yourself available to God in such a way where you're hearing God. Where God is speaking to you about his purpose and his plan for your life. And so that when someone else comes along and says, you know what? I've been praying for you and God is telling me this. Maybe you know what this means. Then that's confirming what God's already said to you. Right? God knows how to confirm his purpose and plan for your life. Okay? But here, uh, Paul does his, uh, expresses his heart and also the heart of God. He, he, you know, 
He said, I want you to be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Why? So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. We want to walk worthy of him. Okay? Fully pleasing to him. Not partially, fully pleasing to him. Bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. You know? So we can do good works that don't bear fruit. You know, he's lining this out to us and, and saying that he wants us filled with the knowledge of his will. We are, God wants us to know his will for us. He wants us to be filled with the knowledge of his will for us in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And that is important to us walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. Uh, Pastor Dale has said many times that that when John baptized Jesus, God spoke from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. He was 30 years old and he hadn't done anything yet. He hadn't done a miracle. He hadn't saved. I mean, he hadn't done anything yet. Yet God is already saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Well, you know what? He spent the whole years of his life coming up to that point, living in a manner worthy of his father. being about his father's business, making himself available to God, all right, so that, so, so that he is in intimate relation with God. So where God is speaking to him, vision, purpose. He knew full well what God's purpose for his life was. And, that, and he's fulfilling God's, he, he's obeying the, the, the father's will at every step. The world didn't know it yet. But he lived a life of humble obedience to his father. And God was pleased with that. And so when he's baptizing Jesus, God's announcing from the heavens, I'm, you know what? I'm very pleased with my son. He's my son. I'm pleased with him. We don't have to do great things in the eyes of man in order to please the heart of our heavenly father. Our heavenly father loves us and and. And he will continue to love us and he'll be well pleased with us if we would but hand, uh, humble ourselves and just live a life that is committed to honoring him in every way. Whether that leads to saving a million, whether that leads to uh, notoriety or, 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 or not, doesn't matter. We'll, be, we'll just put that in the hands of the Lord. But what is within our own personal ability is that we just walk humbly and obedient with our God. But if we will do that, if we'll walk in a manner worthy of him, fully pleasing to him, we'll be able to bear fruit in every good work and increase in the knowledge of God. You know, we sometimes make the mistake of thinking that what God has blessed us with belongs to us. I think that way about my PS4 sometimes. You know. uh, I didn't give the scripture reference, but both in Psalms and Corinthians... Uh, which references back to Psalms, it says that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Even our little corner of the earth, our little space, our, our, our home, our resources, uh, our gifts, our talents, all of those things are, uh, are in the earth that belongs to the Lord. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. My earning potential belongs to God. The place I call my home belongs to God. My family belongs to God. My life belongs to God. You know, and so as his tenants in his vineyard, we need to remind ourselves of who owns it all. 
And so myself, there's no space for my self-interest, you know, uh, uh, because at some point, if I am focused on my self-interest, then at some point, my self-interest are going to run contrary to God's will. And if I prioritize my self-interest, then I'm going to go run afoul to the will of God. And might not even know it. Uh, I believe that the uh, chief priests and elders, in their hearts, they thought that Jesus wasn't the real deal. And, you know, I don't know what would be worse if they knew he was and (laughs) and denied it. But um, I guess the same result either way. But wouldn't it be a shame to really, to be at a point to where you've so prioritized your self-interest in the name of Jesus. That although, you know, how I want to put this, that we've so prioritized our self-interest that we're unable to see what God, how God is moving and what he's doing. We're unable to see it. So we can't respond to it in obedience and walk with him in faith because we're in a mental space that is not consistent <laughs> with, with doing that, all right? Our self-interests have been prioritized. Therefore, walking with God becomes near impossible. Are you hearing me? I mean, we, I think, I, think uh, I, I try to have real talk about these things because we need to know that that is a possible snare that we can be trapped into, that we can fall into if we are not doing what we are, are, are called to do, right? And so uh, we need to be careful not to label our own self-interest and our own wants and our, our own objectives as God's will. We need to be considerate. We need to consider God's word on the matter. We need to consider going before God in prayer and having God speak to us. Okay, God, this is the way I'm seeing things, but I see in part. And I, and, uh, I don't want to lean on my own understanding. I don't just want to see this from a corner perspective. Lord, and, and enlarge my perspective. God, God, give me wisdom. Give me understanding here. And let me know what your will is in this matter. Because what I, my preferred course might not be the will of God. Imagine that. If you can, it might be hard. That what I would rather do might actually not be the will of God. I'm reminded of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Prayed three times. All things are possible to you, God. If, if there is a way, if there's a plan, if there's another way to do this, I know you can do it. And so, you know, so he prayed to God for another way. And you could tell God either didn't answer, which was an answer. Oh, he just said no. But in his prayer, though, he expressed his desire. But he concluded it, but not my will, but yours be done. And I think he set an example for us in those moments of conflict, in, in those moments that we're at a, at a crossroads, emotionally or mentally. We're, you know, we're, we're, we're in the swirl and chaos of life. And deep down, we kind of know what God wants us to do, but we're negotiating with ourselves. We're trying to talk our way out of it, right? We know what God wants us to do, but we we, we don't quite want to do it. I think Jesus showed the way for us in those moments. He said, okay, God, I'm going to be honest with you. Here's where my heart's at. Here's where my struggle is. I know this is the reason why I'm here, that I'm, you know, that I'm here to uh, become sin for man and, and to die on the cross for the redemption of mankind and reconciliation with God. And I'm supposed to suffer grievously 
you know? And, and, and up to this point, it hasn't phased me very much. But right now, right on the cusp of it happening, I, I, I have a struggle. Is there another way? And we know it's not sin because the Bible tells us that, that, that he didn't sin. That he was in all points tempted just like we were, just like we are, but without sin. So we can be real with God. And we can say, I've got a struggle here, God. Uh, uh, I know what you require of me to obey, you know, but, but I'm struggling with the will to do it right now. Right? And what do we do? Do we park right there? No. Because remember, we're wanting to walk in a manner worthy of him. And we're seeking to please him. And so Jesus, that's, that's why I love that the Bible doesn't leave anything out. You didn't have to have the Garden of Gethsemane moment in there. That's for us. That we can see what our Savior did. Okay? He was about to free us. And, uh, from the bondage of sin and death, and we were about to become kingdom children, sons and daughters of God. Okay, how now, having been freed from the slavery to sin and death, how are we to then walk as free men and women of God? Well, Jesus modeled how we do that. Well, what about when it gets hard? Well, Jesus modeled how to do that. We go to God with it, and we persist in prayer. If we don't, have an answer, we're just going to persist and we're going to wait on the Lord to give us an answer. Because his answer will come, maybe not when I want it to, but it's going to come at the right time. If we know the answer, but we're just not ready to uh, accept it and move forward in faith and obedience, then we're going to acknowledge that like Jesus did. But then we're going to say, here's what I'd like you to do. But you know what, God? You know what matters more than what I want you to do? Is what you want to do. And you could tell it was a real, it was a real moment of striving and struggle because he prayed it three times. But each time he said, not my will. As much as I would like for you to work it out another way, at the, end of the, at the end of the day, what matters to me most is that you do it the way you want to do it. I want your will. Even if it means I have to go through this painful experience, I want your will in my life, God. I spent a lifetime trying to avoid dealing with the hurt and the pain of this thing and now it's obvious to me Lord that I must walk through it I must confront it I must walk through it and deal with the pain of it up to this point I've not been willing to trust you in that God uh, and as a result I have not been able to bear kingdom fruit in that area But the Lord, but, but Lord, uh, uh, at this point now, I'm going to do what Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane, Lord. Uh, I'm going to trust you. And although I know doing what you want me to do is going to bring up emotions and, and it's going to bring up uh, feelings and hurts and so forth that, that I know is going to be painful to go through. But I know you'll be with me. Every step of the way, I know your grace will be upon me to be able to walk it out. And I know that as I do this in obedience to you, that your promises are true. You're faithful to your promise. I will be, I will receive healing as a result of this. I will receive liberty. Freedom from the bondage of this thing that has been a weight on my heart all this time. Sometimes we've got to travel the very path. That God would have us travel the very path that we would rather avoid. Because he knows that hard path is our path to freedom. It 
it doesn't look that way to us, but that's where we're going to have to decide whether we're going to trust God or not. Do it his way, all the way, and just trust that our faithful and loving Father has got our best interest at heart. So I will conclude today with this verse in Colossians 3.17. Encourage you with this. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So I would challenge us to let that be an objective of our lives, uh, an unyielding objective that we are determined that we're going to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of him, and that whatever we do in word or deed, we're going to do everything unto the Lord, everything in the name of the Lord. That kind of You know, that being our objective, that being our focus, that being our priority is what is needed in order for us to be able to bear the kingdom fruit that 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 we've seen in Scripture today is God's heart for us to do. Hallelujah. I'm going to ask you all to stand. I could go on, but this I, I believe this is where God would have me end it. Uh, so that there is not a lot of redundancy in the coming uh, weeks or so. Um, But I just want us to stand quiet before God. Uh, I feel like there are those here this morning whom God is speaking to. He's highlighted some things to you. You know, we are not, you and I, aren't the tenants that the first set of tenants who killed the, the son and, 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 and killed one servant, stoned another, beat another. You know, I feel like that represents, you know, that, that the old covenant and, and, and the ministers thereof. Because that scripture also, that, that parable also says there's going to be some new tenants. He's going to deal with them, move them out of the way, bring some new tenants. And these, these tenants that he's going to bring are those that will bear kingdom fruit. And I'm just, I'm, I'm speaking this, I'm declaring this over, over our lives. We shall bear kingdom fruit. We shall bear kingdom fruit abundantly as sons and daughters of Almighty God. Our God has provided us everything that we need. He's planted the vineyard. He's put a fence around it. He's put a wine press in it. He's erected a tower for us. We, we're, we're, just, we're just enjoying the spoils of his victory. And we're not going to believe the lies of the devil. We're not going to believe the lies of our carnal mind that has us recall our faults and shortcomings to ourselves and speak an identity Uh, concerning ourselves that is contrary to what God has said. We're going to acknowledge the work of God who has saved us to the utmost that though while we have not arrived, while we are not perfect, we are not what we used to be. We once were children of darkness. We're not children walking in the dark anymore. We're children of light. We once were in bondage to the kingdom of the enemy. We are now citizens in in, in the kingdom of God. We were once enemies of God. Now we're his dear children. 
You might look in the mirror and not be happy with what you see, but you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Don't you let that reflection in the mirror lie to you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are made in the image of God. And I'm just going to challenge you if you're, if you're that way and you're like, you know what, I'm not, I don't look like I did when I was 20. I've got this feature about myself I've never liked. Why, God, why'd you make me this way? I tell you what, at some point the clay has got to stop asking the potter why you made me this way. Who better to judge whose opinion matters more about how we how we look or how we feel or, or, or who we are, whose opinion matters more than the one who made us. If our designer, if the one who made us says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, who are we to disagree with that? It's time to bear kingdom fruit, but we're going to, and we're going to have to change our minds and we're going to have to embrace what God has said. Be more focused with pleasing him so that we can be able to walk by faith and not by sight, not by self-interest, but by the will of the Lord our God. Not according to our own opinions, but by the word of truth. So if anything has been highlighted to you today, that God is dealing with you, whether it's about yourself, uh, your self-perception, how you see yourself, whether it's, uh, you know, you find that you have been one of those who have seen that what God has blessed you with is yours and, and that you're not a steward of it. You know, uh, whatever it is that God is dealing with you on, just go ahead and just take it to him and begin the process now of practicing with God you know, of, of practicing yielding your self-interest to the will of God.